Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Hey, Golden Age fans, it is October 4th, 2009, and this is the 63rd installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. This is Bill Jordan, your host, and I am very glad you're here for another episode of our show. And this time around, we're going to talk about, as our main feature, the Crime Buster, who appeared in Boy Comics, starting in the Golden Age of Comic Books and on into the uh, the very, very end of the Golden Age of Comic Books. So stay tuned for that. I'm also going to talk about a new comic that was published by Marvel this past week. Actually, not a new comic book per se, but it's uh, one of the uh, books in the series of the Handbook of the Marvel Universe, but focuses on their Golden Age characters in the very first year of the existence of Marvel Comics. And then I'm going to talk about uh, the upcoming Baltimore Comic Con, where uh, I will be there with the Asgard Press folks, uh, who of course have published the great vintage comic book calendars for DC and Marvel. So, stay tuned for that. All right, well, let's turn our attention to the Crime Buster, who made his first appearance in Boy Comics back in the Golden Age of Comic Books. Crime Buster was not a super-powered superhero. He was, in fact, a teenage young man who had no particular superpowers at all. In fact, much like the origin of Batman, he swore to uh, fight crime, and particularly the Nazis, because of the death of his parents. So a very similar origin to Batman and other superheroes. He had a cause, and he turned that cause into a career as a teenager of fighting crime. So let's talk about the origin of Crime Buster in the title that was known as Boy Comics. Now, Boy Comics actually got its debut with issue number three. That was the April 1942 issue. Issues one and two were called Captain Battle Comics, and they appeared prior to that. Now, the title, Boy Comics, was published by Lev Gleason Publications, Of course, Gleason went on to publish a lot of the crime comics during the Golden Age, or late Golden Age, I should say, of comic books. But Lev Gleason, along with Charles Biro, uh, produced a first episode in the installment of the Crime Buster uh, saga. Now, Crime Buster, as I mentioned, uh, first appeared in issue number three of Boy Comics. And he was a young man named Chuck Chandler, who attended the... Custer Military Academy. Now, all that figures into his origin and figures into his costuming here that I'll talk about. Now, as the origin story opens in the pages of Boy Comics number three, we learn that a man named Chandler is going to appear on the radio in the United States that evening because he is the only source of information, or as they say, the true information of what is going on in what they call the lost country of France that has now become occupied by the Nazis. And we we learn this uh, from the audience's perspective in a theater, and on the screen in the theater we are told that Chandler will give that radio address that evening. And as that ends, we see two boys in military costumes, their, uh, their uniform from their military academy, leaving the theater. And one of those young men is Chuck Chandler, and his friend mentions to him how great it must be that his father, Mr. Chandler, who we've just learned about, is going to make such a great speech on the radio that night at the request of the President of the United States. 
where the scene shifts and we see Chandler with his son Chuck in their home and Chandler and Chuck discuss the fact that Mr. Chandler will be making that speech and unfortunately because of the speech he'll be missing Chuck's hockey game at school that evening and also lamenting the fact that Mrs. Chandler remained behind in France, occupied France, for another week and they wished that she could be home with them and hopefully she would be home in a week and there would be no further danger to any member of the Chandler family. Well, Chuck leaves to go get ready for his hockey game at school and we see Mr. Chandler putting on his suit to get ready to give his speech on the radio and a very evil and sinister person appears from the shadows in his room and this is none other than Iron Jaw, probably uh, along with the Claw who we've heard about when I discussed the Golden Age Daredevil probably one of the most evil and nefarious villains created by the Lev Gleason Publishing Company during the Golden Age of comic books. And Iron Jaw appears to threaten Chandler and to tell him that if he does not give a different speech, the speech that the Nazis want him to give, that Chandler's wife will be tortured and ultimately murdered in occupied France. So Chandler tries to crash a, a, a chair over the head of Iron Jaw, and of course, uh, if you have seen the James Bond movies from the 1970s with Roger Moore, where he fights the villain known as Jaws, Iron Jaw is very similar to that character. He has a big iron jaw that sticks out from the front of his uh, lower uh, face because previously he had uh, had a hand grenade blow up and had blown off actually the bottom part of his jaw. So that was replaced with a big iron jaw that he used to uh, do nefarious and evil things to people. But in any event, um, Chandler cannot subdue him, and Iron Jaw tells him if he doesn't do these things, his wife will be killed. So Iron Jaw drives Chandler to the radio station, and Chandler is is really uh, stuck on the horns of a dilemma. Does he betray his country, or does he betray his wife? And Chandler, uh, in thinking it through, realizes that his wife would want him to not betray his country. And so on the radio, he begins and he tells the uh, radio audience, Fellow Americans, I have witnessed many crimes, but never one such as this. Tonight, my wife is alive. If I tell the truth, she dies. Here in my hand is a Nazi pen speech. Lies. All lies. And he tells the American people that the Nazis are committing terrible acts on the high seas, that they are using their U-boats to signal SOFs, and when ships approach to help them, they're torpedoing those ships and blowing them out of the water. Well, at that moment, Iron Jaw appears from the shadows of the radio station theater and shoots Mr. Chandler. Later, we shift the scene to the hockey game that's being played by Chuck and his friends, And ultimately, Chuck, who is now in his hockey uniform, which is a red shirt with red uh, pants with white shorts over those pants, uh, white gloves, and a big C in the middle of his chest, he ultimately learns that his father has been shot while at the radio station. So Chuck grabs the cape from his military uniform in order to keep himself warm and puts it around his neck over his uh, hockey uniform and races to the hospital where his father is in in grave danger of losing his life from his gunshot wound. The doctor uh, speaks to Chuck and tells him, you need to leave for an hour, we're about to perform surgery, and I think your father has an excellent chance of living. And so Chuck is relieved and decides to leave the area uh, while the surgery 
is performed on his father. Unfortunately and tragically for the Chandler family, Iron Jaw is waiting in the wings of the hospital. He has overheard what the doctor has said to Chuck. He knocks the doctor unconscious, takes his place, goes into the operating room as if he is going to perform surgery on Mr. Chandler. And in a fairly gruesome uh, depicted scene, he actually uh, performs surgery on Chandler by killing him. He cuts uh, an artery and Chandler bleeds to death. Iron Jaw then escapes uh, and, and moves to, uh, to uh, another area out of the scene. Well, the scene of the story shifts, and we find uh, young Chuck Chandler still in his hockey uniform with his blue cape around his neck, walking through a park, and he spies an organ grinder with a monkey in the park. Now, why in the world am I all of a sudden am I talking about an organ grinder with a monkey when, tragically, Mr. Chandler was just killed? Well... The monkey becomes a very important part of the Crime Buster series of stories. It turns out that the organ grinder uh, is abusing the monkey. Chuck uh, walks over and basically gets into a fight with the organ grinder, knocks him out, tells him not to pick on this poor little animal, and then ultimately buys the monkey for $25. The monkey becomes uh, Squeaks, and Squeaks, the monkey, becomes Crime Buster's constant sidekick and companion, throughout the rest of his run in the golden age of comic books. So, crime buster Chuck Chandler, with squeaks in tow on his shoulder, races back to the hospital to see how his father is doing, and he learns, unfortunately, that his father has died, uh, and uh, he really doesn't know what to do at that point in the grief that he is experiencing. And as he is about to leave the hospital, not knowing quite what to do, the doctor reminds him of something his father had said, and that is that his mother was still in France and could be in grave danger. So Chuck decides that he is going to travel as quickly as he can to France to try to find and save his mother from the clutches of Iron Jaw. Chuck uh, gets on a a plane, uh, it's actually a seaplane, along with uh, Squeaks in tow. Actually, he had already told Squeaks to go find another organ grinder to work for, and he realized that Squeaks really wanted to stay with him, and, of course, uh, Squeaks wanted to as well and stayed with him and became, again, the sidekick of the crime buster. So we we move forward now to where Chuck is uh, on the airplane, and he, he flies to what they call a neutral port uh, in Portugal. He can't fly into France because it's occupied by the Nazis, and so he flies to the neutral port, of Portugal. Well, unfortunately, Iron Jaw has learned of this and sends his agents to Portugal to try to intercept Chuck Chandler. Well, the agents do intercept him at the port, and uh, Chandler quickly realizes that they are not who they say they are, uh, uh, officials of the uh, country of Portugal. A fight ensues, and with the aid of Squeaks to Monkey, Chuck is able to subdue both of these agents knock them both out uh, and races off in search of a way to try to find his mother and save her in France. Chuck ultimately makes it to the house where his mother is staying. Realizing that the house is being watched, he sends Squeak the monkey with a note to his mother. Uh, The mother uh, uh, is uh, told in the note that her son is there to help her, and ultimately they book uh, passage on a ship back to the United States. 
and uh, the mother is on the ship uh, on board, hoping that, that Chuck has gotten on board. She didn't know if he had made it on or not. They are fortunately reunited, and uh, they're on the ship together. And hopefully this is going to be the happy end of the story, that Chuck and Squeaks and his mother make it safely back to the United States. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and the ship upon which Chuck, his mother, and Squeaks are traveling is intercepted by a Nazi U-boat, which shoots the ship, and uh, the ship, of course, is sunk. Chuck, uh, in the wreckage, is swimming uh, around in the wreckage and finds his mother unconscious, but alive and floating in the water, and uh, saves her, and in the distance he sees a ship that he believes is there to rescue the survivors of this explosion, and as he gets close to the ship, screaming, Ahoy there, my mother needs attention, will you pick her up? You can forget me, just help her, please. They come cl- that He's told to come closer to the ship, and as he does, it turns out it is a Nazi U-boat, and they open fire with a machine gun, killing Chuck's mother and wounding Chuck. A bullet uh, grazed his forehead. Fortunately, uh, Squeaks is close by, floating on a piece of wreckage. He sees Chuck unconscious, floating in the water, grabs him, puts him into a life preserver, and uh, he and Chuck are both picked up by a friendly ship, and Chuck learns that his mother uh, is truly uh, perished in the in the ocean. The scene shifts to Iron Jaw learning that all of the Chandlers must be dead, but in fact uh, we know that Chuck has survived. Now, the story concludes in Boy Comics number three with Chuck wearing his uh, hockey uniform still with the blue cape from his military uniform, raising both fists to the air and saying, I swear it, by all that's right to avenge their deaths, I'll fight terror with terror. They'll pay and pay and pay. And the story concludes with the words, and that's how Crime Buster came to be. And that's it, the origin of Crime Buster. And Crime Buster continued from Boy Comics number 3 in 1942 uh, all the way until issue number 119 of Boy Comics. That was the March 1956 issue when the stories of the Crime Buster and Chuck Chandler were ended. Now, there were some interesting things that occurred in the life of Chuck Chandler, the Crime Buster, during the course of his run in Boy Comics. First of all, I should mention that Boy Comics did not remain Boy Comics during its entire run. It was actually changed, the title was changed to Boy Illustories, I-L-L-U-S-T-O-R-I-E-S, from issues 43 through 97. So if you're looking for Boy Comics, you might see a title called Boy Illustories with the Crime Buster on the cover, and that's actually the same run through issues 43 through 97. Some notable things that occurred in the life of the Crime Buster in Boy Comics and Boy Illustories. In issue number six, we learned the origin of Iron Jaw. That was the October 1942 issue. Iron Jaw is apparently killed in issue number 8, that's the February 1943 issue, but he was back in issue number 10, the June 1943 issue. And then it appeared in issue number 15 of Boy Comics that Iron Jaw was killed once and for all. That was the April 1944 issue, and we did not see him again for a number of years, uh, and he finally returned in issue number 60, That was the December 1950 issue, and uh, 
the next couple of stories explained how he uh, was brought back from the dead and also retold the origin of both of those characters. Um, now, in issue number 30, which is a very notable issue for Crime Buster, that's the October 1946 issue, the origin was reprinted verbatim from, of Crime Buster was reprinted verbatim from Boy Comics number 3. So if you uh, wanted to read that story verbatim, uh, you could pick up uh, a copy of Boy Comics number 30 and read it uh, word for word. Now, in uh, issue number 107 of the Boy Comics title, that's the January 1955 issue, no longer does the words Crime Buster appear on the cover. Interestingly, uh, because of the upcoming Comic Code Authority, which we've talked about many times on the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast, the word crime had to be removed from the cover. And so from that point, Crime Buster was called CB instead of Crime Buster on the cover of the comic books. The very first code-approved issue of Boys Comics was uh, issue number 109. That was the March 1955 issue. And finally, with issue number 111, that was the May 1955 issue, Crime Buster becomes just good old Chuck Chandler, uh, as the story goes, one of his girlfriends decides that uh, he looks kind of silly running around in his old hockey uniform with his blue military cape. Uh, and she just said, look, you know, if I'm going to hang out with you out in public, you don't need to be wearing that silly thing. You need to put on street clothes. So he actually changes over to uh, street clothes and becomes just uh, the guy known as Chuck Chandler and not Crime Buster in issue number 111. And uh, his street clothes do continue to have a, a shirt that has the C in the middle of it, like an athletic letter, but it's not the uh, uniform that he wore for so many years as the Crime Buster. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, episode, the Crime Busters and Chuck Chandler's last appearance in the Golden Age of Comic Books was in issue number 119 of Boy Comics. That was the March 1956 issue. And he did not appear again in the Golden Age of Comic Books after that time. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Crime Buster was a product of Lev Gleason Publications. Charles Burrow and Bob Wood actually were involved in creating the character. And a number of other individuals worked on the, uh, the character in his appearances in Boy Comics and Boy Illustrories over the years. Uh, some artists uh, that are well-known, uh, for instance... Uh, uh, the great Joe Kubert drew some of the uh, Crime Buster stories, and many other notable artists of the day had a hand in uh, working on this particular character. Of course, they were uh, much younger then in those days and uh, just getting their start in comics, but uh, they did nevertheless uh, contribute to the Crime Buster stories that appeared. Some of those were uh, Norman Bauer, Dan Barry, Fred Kitta, Norman Mara, Mike Roy, uh, Frank Boll. George Tuska, William Overgaard, and many, many others. So I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about the crime buster who appeared in Boy Comics from Lev Gleason Publications in the Golden Age of Comic Books. Now, I always do talk about uh, reprints, and the interesting thing about uh, crime buster and Chuck Chandler, as is the case with many characters from the Golden Age, is that Crime Buster stories and the character are now in the public domain, and so they are widely and freely reprinted both on the Internet uh, in a lot of different places. In fact, I found the, uh, the exact uh, pages from issue number 30 
uh, at a website on the on the internet. And uh, AC Comics has also reprinted over the years a number of the uh, Crime Buster stories. So you can find these stories if you want to read them, particularly uh, the origin story that I mentioned. Uh, that's out there. Uh, I've mentioned the uh, uh, GoldenAgeComics.uk website before, and uh, I saw that there were quite a few of the boy comic stories there as well. So if you want to read these stories from uh, Lev Gleason Publications about the Crime Buster and Chuck Chandler from Boy Comics, uh, you can find those, as I said, pretty easily on the Internet. So check them out. Uh, you'll find some really cool World War II covers there. Some of the earlier issues have some uh, Hitler and Hirohito covers. There are some classic World War II covers. For instance, issue number 10 is a classic uh, Iron Jaw cover. A lot of other cool covers, so check them out, and I think you'll enjoy them. And that's it about the Crime Buster from Boy Comics, uh, Chuck Chandler. Hope you've enjoyed learning about him from the Golden Age of Comic Books. Well, if you've been over to the Golden Age of Comic Books blog at goldenagecomics.org, which is the home of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast, you know that I've done quite a few blog posts about the 70th anniversary of Marvel Comics that's being celebrated this year and a lot of the commemorative, timely comics books that they have been publishing. Well, just this last week, I got a copy of the Marvel Mystery Handbook published by Marvel. It's called, the official title is Marvel Mystery Handbook 70th Anniversary Special, first printing uh, in 2009. This book had a cover price of $4.99. And essentially what it is, if you're familiar with the Handbook of the Marvel Universe, it is the Handbook of the Marvel Universe, for the very first year of Marvel Comics. So what you're going to find here are the characters that appeared during that first year, 1939 to 1940, uh, in the pages of Marvel Mystery Comics, Red Raven Comics, Daring Mystery Comics, etc. So if you flip open this book, you'll find uh, right off the bat a description of the character known as the Angel, who first appeared in Marvel Comics number 1 in 1939, a bio of him, um, where he appeared, and so on and so forth. And it goes through many, many different characters, uh, the Black Widow, the Blue Blaze, uh, Betty Dean, of course, the Submariner, the Human Torch, Electro, not the villain from Spider-Man Electro, but the superhero Electro, one of the early robots in comics. Um, uh, many, many other characters, uh, such as the Fiery Mask and Kazar, and the Laughing Mask, and the Mask Raider, and Mastermind Excello, Mr. E, not Mystery, but Mr. E, just like uh, Edward Nigma, but that's a different company, isn't it? Uh, the Phantom Reporter, the Red Raven from uh, that title, uh, the Thin Man, Toro, of course, the Human Torture's sidekick, um, and many, many more. So if you're interested in learning of the origins of the very earliest Marvel Comics superheroes from the earliest days of the Golden Age of comic books, check this out. Now, as I said earlier, it's not a comic book per se. It's really more a text with uh, pictures, the biography of each of these characters. But I think you'll find it um, really interesting. Of course, not in this book are the Captain America characters because Captain America did not appear in the first uh, year of the history of Marvel Comics. So you won't find Captain America in this particular book, but uh, I think it's worth uh, picking up. Uh, it's certainly uh, pretty cool to read the origins all in one place of the earliest superheroes in the history of Marvel Comics, particularly as we celebrate 
their 70th anniversary. So head over to your local comic shop and check this out. I think you'll really and truly enjoy the glimpse that it gives into the history, particularly with the 70th anniversary of Marvel Comics. Last but not least, I wanted to mention the upcoming Baltimore Comic Con. Now, I've never been to the Baltimore Comic Con. I've been to a lot of other comic book shows over the years, but I've never made it up to the Baltimore Comic Con. And I was real excited when I got a call from the folks at Asgard Press, who, as you know from the last podcast and from the blog at goldenagecomics.org, have put together for the second year the Vintage DC Comics Calendar, and all celebrating, of course, the 75th anniversary of DC Comics. And also, this year, they did for the first time the vintage Marvel Comics calendar, focusing on the Silver Age Marvel superhero characters. So I was real excited when they called me up and they said, hey, why don't you join us at the show? They're going to have a booth there where they're going to have these calendars for sale. They're also going to have lots of other cool products that they sell there. And they've asked me to be with them at their booth to do some signings of some of these calendars. And I was just thrilled at the invitation, and I told them that I would be more than glad to be there. So I will be at the uh, Baltimore Comic Con at the Asgard Press booth on Saturday and Sunday of the show. I will be there on Saturday from uh, 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock at their booth, and I will be at their booth Sunday from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And I'll probably be there at other times uh, throughout the show, but I'd love to meet some of the fans of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast and of the Golden Age of Comic Books blog site, goldenagecomics.org. So if you're at the Baltimore Comic Con, come on by. I'd love to see some of my other fellow podcasters. I had a great time with them at Heroes Con in Charlotte this past June. Did uh, a panel with them there and also uh, talked to them about our mutual love and respect of comics and comic creators. So Hopefully I'll see some of them, but I would love to see some of the uh, fans of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. So if you are at the Baltimore Comic Con, come on by and uh, let me know that uh, that you listen to the show. I'd love to talk to you about Golden Age Comic Books, and I would love for you to get a calendar from Asgard, and I'd be more than glad to, uh, to sign that and talk to you about the great covers that you'll find. If you don't make it to the Baltimore show and you're interested in getting the vintage DC Comics calendar, or the vintage Marvel Comics calendar. Well, of course, you can go to the Asgard Press website, asgardpress.com, and you can buy them right there online from Asgard Press. The cool thing is, if you use promo code GOLDENAGECOMICS, that's one word, GOLDENAGECOMICS, and purchase a calendar from their website with that promo code, you get a 10% discount on the calendar. I've seen the calendars in uh, various retail outlets, such as... uh, Barnes and Noble and places like that. I know they're on Amazon, but if you go directly to the Amazon, excuse me, to the Asgard Press website and use the promo code Golden Age Comics, you'll get that 10% discount. You will not get it at these other retail uh, outlets uh, that I mentioned. So check out the Asgard Press website. And please, if you're going to be in the Baltimore area, come by and see us at the Asgard Press booth at the Baltimore Comic Con on Saturday, October 10th and on Sunday, October 11th. I would love to see as many of you there as as possible. So I look forward to seeing you guys at the Baltimore Comic Con this coming weekend, October 10th and 11th. All right, well, that's going to do it for this installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books, issue number 63 of the Golden Age of Comic Books for October the 4th, 2009. 
really appreciate everybody joining us, and hopefully you'll join us for our next installment. Don't forget to visit the blog at goldenagecomics.org. I update the blog uh, fairly regularly. I put um, a lot of information there about Golden Age comics, uh, reprints that are coming out on a week-to-week basis of Golden Age material, and other really interesting information about the Golden Age of comic books. Of course, you'll also find there the show notes for the episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. Please don't forget, drop us an email, goldenagecomics at gmail.com. I love getting emails from uh, all of the fans of Golden Age comic books. Always great to uh, to communicate that way with the fans of Golden Age comic books and of the podcast. So I hope everybody has a great week coming up. Thanks again for joining us for this installment of the Golden Age of comic books podcast. And I look forward to talking to each and every one of you about Golden Age comic books in our next show. <laughs>